Well, good morning, church family. I'm going to go ahead and let you down this morning before I get started with my sermon. I know many of y'all come here and expect to hear from Hobson. And you expect to hear some sort of reference to Marvel or Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit. So I'm going to go ahead and say you will not hear any of that this morning. If you need your fix, I'm sure he has something that he can tell you this morning. Um, I love the, this season that we're entering, this fall season. The, well, we start to get cooler weather. The, the, the leaves start changing colors. Um, the, I mean, you see God's beauty and nature everywhere you look. But most importantly, I love it because college football season is back. Now, um, I can talk football to you for hours. I can talk to you about strategies and offense, defense, different kind of plays, different kind of offenses. But, you know, a, a two-and-a-half-hour to three-hour game is not just what you see on the field. Coaches spend six days before that planning the game plan for what they're about to execute. You know, they study the defense of the team that they're facing. They study the offense. They study the ins and outs of tendencies they may have. And when they, so, so, so what you see, um, what you see on the field is hours of preparation and time and sweat and sometimes even blood of practices and, and, and just learning about who they're facing so that when they um, take the field, they are prepared for anything the team may do against them. This morning, we get the same kind of thing in our story. This morning, we, are going, we get to see a, a game played out and we get to see the tendencies of the offense and defense, and we also get to see what Jesus does to counteract the tactics of Satan. So if you have your Bibles, let's open back up to Matthew 4. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. One commentary writes regarding the temptation of Jesus. He says this. He says, Satan's aim was to make Jesus act according to his own will instead of a, of in, in obedience to his father. So Satan's aim is to make Jesus act according to his own will instead of obedience to his father. So let's begin reading in Matthew 4, beginning with verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So my first point this morning is what is feeding your appetite? What is feeding your appetite? The first temptation, Satan tries to entice Jesus to deal with an immediate need that he has in hunger. Verse 2 tells us that Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights, and he was hungry. Now, after no period of 40, after a period of 40 days, Jesus would have been at his weakest physically and spiritually. So it's no coincidence that at this moment, Satan comes to begin his temptations. Now, a couple of things I want you to note here about the temptation before we get started is that Jesus is representing a new type of Israel as he enters the wilderness to be tempted. 
So let's put on our, our, our Old Testament hats and, and let's think about the Old Testament for a little bit. In Exodus 14, 19, we're told that Israel was led by a pillar of cloud into the wilderness. And here we see that Jesus, according to Matthew 4, 2, says that Jesus was led by the Spirit. Israel was led through the water by the parting of the Red Sea, and we see that in Exodus 14, verses 21 through 22, on dry ground as they entered the wilderness. Jesus enters the wilderness through baptism, where he receives his confirmation from his heavenly Father, which is what we looked at last week. Israel wanders in the wilderness for a period of 40 years, according to Numbers 14, 34, as punishment for not fully trusting God. Jesus spends 40 days in prayer and fasting to prepare himself for what is about to occur in the wilderness. So this is some, some resemblance you see between Israel and Jesus as they both entered the wilderness. Now, the temptation of of food and the lore of food has been used since the very beginning of time. Think back to Adam and Eve in the garden. In Genesis, 1, Genesis 3, chapter 1 through 13, we have this account of Satan in the, the form of a serpent having a conversation with Eve. And, and he begins in Genesis 3, 1, he says, he, he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Satan's question here is meant to cause God, I mean, to cause Eve to doubt God's word. Now, Genesis 2, God had really said, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will not die. For in that day you eat of it, you will surely, not, you will surely die. Both Satan and Eve knew what God had already stated regarding the tree, but the lure of the fruit in Satan's words caused Eve to doubt the very commandment of God, and she took and she ate. Now let's look at Jesus's, let's look at Satan's words in Matthew 4, 3. He begins um, the same way, if you are the son of God. Now this if word is meant to cause doubt in, in many people's minds. Anytime you hear the word if, it's usually meant to cause doubt. So what Satan is doing, he's saying, if you truly are the son of God, now, let's think back to last week's sermon. What did God tell Jesus? He said, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So Satan is trying to use the exact same tactic that he used on Eve by getting Jesus to doubt the words of God. Unlike our first parents who gave in to the temptation of Satan, Jesus stands firm on what he already knows that God has said about him. Jesus stands on what he knows that God has already said about him. Satan tries to get Jesus to doubt the words of God, and now he commands Jesus to do something. To look at, um, there evidently must have been stones around. He said, take these stones and turn them into bread. Now, we already mentioned that Jesus is being tempted after a period of no food for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, and we we're told that he was hungry. This is just one of the many verses that you are finding in the Gospels that prove the humanity of Jesus. He was fully God, but he was also fully man. Um, MacArthur commented on this verse. He says this. He says, hunger not only makes us physically weak, 
but it also tends to weaken our moral and spiritual resistance as well. When we are tired, hungry, or sick, we are usually less concerned about other needs and dangers and tend to be vulnerable to anything that might provide relief from our present distress. This describes Jesus. He is at his weakest moment of no food. Um, He is weak physically. He's possibly weak spiritually at the same time. So Satan says, look at these stones. Turn them into bread. Get immediate relief from these pains of hunger that you are feeling. Now, most of us here probably do not understand what it means to be truly hunger, a hungry. Now, some of us think after an hour of food that we are hungry and, and we need food like immediately right now. I mean, if you look at our, um, if you look at America, there is some source of food on every street corner. I mean, if you look around, there's a McDonald's, there's a convenience store. There is some way for us to, to feed our hunger. But here, Jesus had been without food for 40 days and 40 nights. What Satan is tempting Jesus with is not just food. Now, food is the immediate relief, but I think it's something deeper than that. He is tempting Jesus to distrust the, distrust the providential care of his heavenly father, God and to use his own divine powers to serve himself. Jesus is, test, is tempting, um, Satan is tempting Jesus to use his own divine powers to provide for himself and not let God provide for him. God cares for Jesus even in this moment. He cares um, when we're hungry. He cares when we're tired. He cares about even the most minute detail of our daily life because he is a God who is involved with us personally, and he is not distant. Psalm 121 tells us that the same God who created the earth in Genesis 1 and created us in his image is the same God who cares for us. He's our helper. He's our protector. He's our keeper, and he is with us at all times. We serve a God who cares for us even in our, in our hunger. So here we have Jesus who is hungry. He has the ability. He can take these stones and turn them into bread, if he, so, if he so pleased it. He has the ability to do that. Yet look at Jesus' response to Satan, which is a quote from Deuteronomy 8.3. Look at verse 3 of chapter 4. But he answered, It is written, Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus responds, to Satan by taking us to the very place where we can find our answers, which gives us strength to resist temptations, the word of God, with the phrase, it is written. Jesus is taking taking Satan's suggestion to turn the stones into bread and lays it next to the words of God found in Scripture. Notice notice the the wording that Jesus used. He says, man. Jesus is not facing the tempter as the, as, uh, and fully God, he is facing the tempter as a man at this point. Jesus continues that we should not live by bread alone. If Jesus was to turn these stones into bread, this would have only provided a temporary relief from hunger. We know this because how many of y'all ate breakfast this morning? Raise your hand. How many of y'all ate breakfast this morning? How many of y'all are ready for me to finish up so you can go ahead and get lunch? <laughs> The, the bread would only provide something tempor- um, t- temporarily. 
the physical bread would eventually provide relief, then Jesus would have to find another source for food to relieve the hunger. Jesus points us to the everlasting bread that never fails to satisfy. Jesus says that we are not to live by bread alone, but that every mouth that comes from the word of God. Theologian and pastor Warren Wisby stated this on verse 4. He says, we must not think that Jesus used his divine powers to overcome the enemy because that is just what the enemy wanted him to do. Jesus used the spiritual resources that are available to us today, the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the word of God with his statement as it is written. Jesus uses the same thing that's available to us, the, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, in order to resist these temptations. The Word of God is where we draw our strength from. It's where we learn about God. It's where we grow to love Him more. It's where we send our, 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 see our sin pointed out in our life. And it's where we see God's plan for salvation laid out for the human race. John 6, 63 says this, says, It is the Spirit who gives life, The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. We have the words of God spoken to us in the form of the Bible. Do you consider that your your, your spirit? Do you consider that your life? Is that what you cling to only in moments of despair or only in, in moments of trials? Or is it something that you cling to daily? Just like you need bread daily physically, To get you through your day, we need the spiritual bread of the Word of God to get us through our days. What what is feeding your appetite? Do you have a deep devotion and love for God and His Word? May we be like Jesus and see God's Word as our daily bread where we gain our spiritual nourishment for for our days. You know, there are many things that you can fill your appetite with. You can fill it with your job. You can fill it with your your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend. You can fill it with money. The problem with these things is eventually the the satisfaction runs out, and then you need something else. You need something more. You need something better. You you need a better job. You need more money. The, The only thing that's going to truly satisfy your soul is the Word of God and the Spirit that is found in them. So what are you, um, what is feeding your appetite? All right, let's continue. Now that Satan has failed in his first tactic, let's look at verse 5 to see who are you trusting for protection. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him in verse 7, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So Jesus lost round one. So now he moves on to round two. So now he moves from testing Jesus' trust in the providential care of God to now testing Jesus' trust in his Father. If Jesus does not throw himself off the high point of the temple... It would show that Jesus does not trust God to, provide, to protect him concerning what Scripture says that God would provide angels to come and save him. Now, this pinnacle that we read about, um, scholars believe that it was a point of the temple which would have been roughly 450 um, feet um, off the ground. So this was no, like, 
um, this was no small, small feat to, to stand out and look and see nothing, literally about 450 feet until, until death. So um, I want you to notice, though, how crafty Jesus, I mean, Satan is in this temptation of Christ. In the first temptation, Jesus responded that we should live only by the words of God. Now look at what Satan says. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. Satan is now about to try to use scripture in order to entice Jesus to, to throw himself down. Quoting Warren Wisby again, he says, he said, this time Satan uses the word of God. So basically what Satan is saying is that if you intend to live by the scriptures, then let me quote a verse of scripture for you and see if you will obey it. Satan here is quoting from Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. Now, there is a lot of debate, and we won't get into it this morning, as to whether or not um, Satan is misquoting the verse or is he misapplying um, a verse. But without getting into the weeds, just notice this. Satan is using a scripture about trusting God, which is what Psalms 91 is referring to, to justify testing Jesus. He's using scripture to justify the fact that Jesus should throw himself off of the, the temple. What Jesus is being asked to do by Satan is to throw himself off the temple and test and see if scripture really is true that God will send angels, angels to come and save him. Basically, Jesus is giving, Jesus is saying, I mean, basically Satan is saying, give your father a chance to fulfill the scripture that I just quoted to you. Satan was using his power of persuasion on Christ just as he does on us to trap us. We need to, we need to remember one important thing, though. Satan can persuade us, but he cannot push us. See, Satan told Jesus, throw yourself down, but Satan could not push Jesus over the edge. Um, Satan can make sin look good. He can make sin sound good. He can make sin appear to feel good. But it is ultimately our decision to give in to the temptations. Satan does not uh, cause you to sin. You cause yourself to sin and to give in to temptations. Now look at Jesus' response to Satan in verse 7. Again, it is written, you shall not put your, the Lord your God to the test. Jesus counters scripture with scripture. Now this is an, an allusion to Exodus 17, verses 2 to 7 where God brings the people of Israel from the bondage of slavery in Egypt, and they start to complain, and they start to ask for water. They begin to, to trust in what they could see and not trust in, in God's providential care for them. And Moses replies to them as they are complaining. He says, why are you testing the Lord? When we demand miraculous protection as proof of God's care, we are sinning as we have not, ha if we are not having the attitude of trust and obedience in God. This would be like a diabetic refusing to take insulin shots because they say God will provide for me. That's the kind of attitude that testing God has. If Jesus does jump off the pinnacle of the temple, he would have put God on the spot to speak, forcing him to act. And this, which, which would not have been according to Psalm 91, which Satan referenced. We are all tempted to test God without even realizing it. How many of you have made this statement? God, if you'll help me with this, then I will do blank. God, if you save my kid, then I'll know that you truly are God. 
when we put this, when, when, when we say those kind of statements, we are testing God and not trusting His full care. Or maybe you're here. You, uh, maybe you're sitting here this morning and you doubt your salvation. So you're begging for God to provide signs for you to prove that He is God and that He has saved you. I would submit to you to hold fast to God's word and rest in that. He has provided all the evidence. He's provided all the assurance you need. We just need to trust in God and God alone for that. God doesn't need to write it in the sky and chocolate for you to realize that you're saved. Trust the words of God and trust what he has already said about you. Jesus was again tempted to test God when he was on the cross. Remember when as Jesus is, is hanging on the cross, Matthew tells us that um, there were those around the cross and they were saying, you who will destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If, there's that word if again, if you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes and elders mocked him, saying he saved himself, he cannot save others. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires, for he said, I am the Son of God. Jesus very well could have released himself from the cross at any moment, but he chose to trust the plan of God, and he chose to go through, um, he chose to go through with the cross for you and I to have a way for salvation because of his death and sacrifice on the cross. F.B. Moore, a Baptist pastor and evangelist in England, noted this regarding, regarding the temptation. He says, there is only one way by which the tempter can be met. He laughs at our good resolutions and ridicules the pledges which we fortify ourselves. Satan fears only one. He who in the hour of greatest weakness defeated him and who now has been raised far above all principalities and power to deliver frail and tempted souls. Christ conquered the prince of this world in the days of his flesh and is prepared to do it again for each of us as we seek his aid. Satan only fears one, one person, and that's Jesus Christ himself. This morning, are you living a life testing God, or are you living a life trusting God? Because there's a difference. Even at the, the worst moment of your life, are you testing God, or are you trusting God to provide what you need? Whether it be financially, whether it be physically, whether it be spiritually, you can fill in the blank. Are you living a life trusting God, and are you living a life um, testing God? So our final point this morning, who are you worshiping? Who are you worshiping? Satan tries one more time to get Jesus to fall into his temptations. Let's pick it up in verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all of these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Satan is now done playing games with Jesus, and he now reveals his supreme purpose for tempting Jesus, and that's for Jesus Christ to worship him. He first began with what Jesus should do for himself by turning the stones into bread. 
Then he suggested what the father should do for Jesus by saving Jesus from throwing himself down off the pinnacle. Now he suggests what Satan could, could do for Jesus in exchange for Jesus, for what Jesus can do for him. If you serve me, fall down and worship me, then I'll give you all of these um, kingdoms that you see. Jesus has shown all the kingdoms of the world. Luke tells us that this vision occurred in a moment of time, which means this must have been something supernatural. Um, by some supernatural vision, the devil showed Jesus the glories of Egypt, its pyramids, its temples, its libraries. He showed the power of Rome and its mighty empire spread over the, the whole world. He showed great Athens, magnificent Corinth, and wondrous Jerusalem, and most of all, all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. This is a very present temptation for us today. We may not have supernatural vision to see all of this, but we are tempted with the world of business, politics, fame, or whatever else our hearts desires that, uh, that could be ours only if. We can, um, we, all, we can all live for what we want. We can fulfill our lusts, our desires, our fantasies, we can all be someone. We can all have power. We can all have all of this if we pursue this, make that our God, and that's what we worship. If, um, if we're not careful, we can turn something as simple as our jobs into worship. When you devote all your time, all your efforts, all your energy to that, you, uh, money can be something that you worship. Your relationships can be something that you worship. The, 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 the popularity, like, like the desire to be popular, the desire to, be, to have power, all of this can be worship. And Satan says if, if, um, if he would give all of this to Jesus if he does one thing, and that's bow down and worship him. But again, Jesus takes us back to Scripture. I think one thing that, that we can learn from, from temptation is that, is that the importance of knowing Scripture the importance of having scripture at ready so that we can counteract the, the temptations that are, are luring us. So Jesus says in verse 9, all, um, and he says, this, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus is tempting, Satan is tempting Jesus to break the first commandment, to have no other God before me. Satan is offering Jesus a way in which to bypass the suffering and pain of the cross and get that crown of glory now. If Jesus had given in to this third temptation, it would have brought the same result as having given in to the first two. He would have disqualified himself not only as king, but as savior. Think about that. If Jesus would have given in to any of these temptations, he would have disqualified himself as not only king, but savior. Instead of redeeming the world, Jesus would have joined the world. Instead of inheriting the world, he would have lost it. This is what was at stake through these temptations. It's our salvation, our redemption from sin, and our everything. But notice what Jesus responds to Satan with in verse 10. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. Jesus' response here is again a Reference to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13, which says, It is the Lord your God you shall, you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall be aware. In his response, Jesus says, not only we should worship God, but he takes it a step further and says we should only serve the one true God. Worship and serve 
are intertwined with one another. They are linked together. If you worship God on Sunday but are not willing to serve him Monday through Saturday, our worship is at best defective and at worst is hypocritical. So you cannot serve God on Sundays and then live like you want to Monday through Friday. You become a hypocritical Christian. Satan's pattern is to start with glory and end with suffering, while God's pattern is to start with suffering and end with glory. Hence our responsibility to worship and serve God and Him alone. To worship someone or something is to serve it. Paul tells us in Romans 6, 16 that we are slaves to what we obey, whether we are serving sin that leads to death or obedience leading to righteousness. So I pose the question, what are you worshiping with your life? What are you worshiping with your life? Not just on Sundays, but Monday through Saturday. What are you worshiping with your life? What takes up a majority of your time? What does your bank account say about who or what you are worshiping? What does your daily life say about who or what you are worshiping? Does your life during the, week, during the week, reflect what a Christian is, or is it just a Sunday morning thing for you? Jesus has shown us the game plan for dealing with temptations in these passages, and they rely heavily on Scripture. The Bible is our, game, is our playbook for the game of life. In it, you will find the wonderful truths. You will find convicting, heart-penetrating verses that cause us to align our lives with God and so much more, but ultimately from Genesis to Revelation, you will see the redemption plan of God and salvation for his people from cover to cover. Each of us live a, a, a life of temptation, some more than others. But listen to this. We have a, a Savior and a Redeemer in Jesus who successfully stood against Satan and his tactics, and he understands what you're going through. Hebrews 4.15 says that we have a high priest in Jesus who can sympathize with us even in our weakness. Even when, even when you feel so overwhelmed with temptation that you feel like there is no way out, Jesus understands. Jesus understands what you and I face on a daily basis. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you're not a Christian. And your temptation is, is, is believing in this Jesus. Maybe, maybe that's your temptation to not believe. So you're saying in your mind that there's no way that God can save me. God doesn't know my life. God, um, God doesn't know what I face. God doesn't understand what I'm going through. We serve a God who understands what you're going through. We serve a God who understands what you're facing. Maybe you're here, you're here this morning and you're, you're a believer, but you're just so... Um, you're living a life where Sundays, you look like a Christian, but Monday through Saturday, the temptations of life were just so overwhelming. May I commit to you the Bible. Commit yourself to the Bible, to the words of life. May, may I commit to you the people around you. Maybe you need to go to a brother or a sister and say, hey, I need help this week. Will you pray for me? Will you walk through life for me? That's the purpose of the church. That's the purpose why we gather together is to, um, to encourage one another. For us Christians, we have a hope 
and that there is coming a time where we will be reunited with Christ in heaven. That's what we're, that's what we're looking forward to as Christians. Verse 11 says that angels came and they ministered to him. Like Saul says, it says they ministered to him. Now, I mean, we can speculate what, what this looked like. I mean, I think first and foremost, it probably would have been some sort of food. But angels came and ministered to Jesus. There's coming a day where we're, where we're going to be ministered to by God and Jesus himself in heaven. When we sit at the, the, at the Mary's Supper of the Lamb and we see our salvation, we're going to be ministered to by God and Jesus himself. There's coming a day where the pain of life will fade and we will be with our Redeemer and our salvation in heaven. So this morning I ask you these three questions. What is feeding your appetite? What are you trusting in for protection? And who are you worshiping? Who are you worshiping with your life? Would you pray with me? Father, I'm thankful.